You're listening to episode 39 of Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Let's chat. Discover children at a whole new level. Be empowered to grow with the children in your life. Welcome to Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. Hi there and welcome to Chat About Children where we chat about all things children and empower you to grow with the children in your life. Today's episode, we are talking about giftedness in the classroom. Now, today's episode is a slight extension on the topic of gifted and talented children. Last episode, episode 38, was very much an in-depth conversation about gifted and talented children, how they're diagnosed, reason why someone might choose to or not to look at diagnostic testing. And importantly, we really busted some myths and some misconceptions about being deemed gifted and talented. And very importantly, we also looked at how to best support our children or the children that we work with. If you haven't already listened to our last episode, episode 38, I strongly recommend you tune into it. There I am talking to the president of the Australian Association for the Education of the Gifted and Talented, and her name is Melinda Gindy. On today's episode, we have a super passionate teacher joining me, Vanessa, and she has additional and specific training in working with gifted and talented children. And she does this within the classroom context, supporting teachers and students. So let's start the chat with Vanessa Ryan Rendell. Vanessa Ryan Rendell has over 10 years teaching experience in the primary classroom and has completed her Master of Gifted Education. Vanessa works alongside classroom teachers, building up their knowledge of who gifted children are and how to support them within the classroom. She has worked with parents through face-to-face meetings, online webinars, and has helped in gifted education courses. Vanessa also runs the blog EducateEmpower.blog and the website VanessaRyanRendell.com. Vanessa started blogging about books over four years ago when she started working in a primary school library and had come across so many wonderful books that she knew she could spark children's interests in the world around them. After being surrounded by so many books in the school library and a year of blogging, she felt a need to try and write one herself. It has taken a lot of hard work, but she will have one published later this year, which is a fantastic achievement. Congratulations, Vanessa. She also has a passion for learning about the world around her and she loves to spend time exploring the outdoors, reading new books and writing stories for children to enjoy. And today Vanessa joins us to share her insights with working with children with, to share her insights on working with gifted children within the classroom and no doubt there'll be some wonderful tips and strategies that parents and carers can use within the home environment as well. Welcome to Chat About Children, Vanessa. Thank you, Sonia. It's nice to be here. So we did do a part one, we recorded a part one about the gifted child. And in that episode, we talked about how to identify who are gifted children and how do we even know if a child is gifted. So for anyone who hasn't tuned into that episode, I do strongly recommend it. But Vanessa, before we launch into our topic, can you just quickly put simply, what is gifted education? So gifted education is basically as teachers and as parents, but probably more of a focus on with teachers is learning and knowing how to look for children who are gifted through different types of identification and then knowing how to support them the best way in the classroom. And often gifted education is for that top 10% of the population of gifted people and 
to be a gifted child, to be part of that gifted education doesn't mean you're fantastic at everything, that you're gifted in everything. It could just be one area of the curriculum, of the school curriculum, and teachers should be able to cater for that child by adding extra challenge, extra depth, extra complexity into that area. Fantastic. And there is, we often hear gifted and talented, and we hear those terms used interchangeably. Do you want to quickly tell us the difference between that for those that aren't aware? Yes. So the gifts are something that you're born with. Okay. And it often comes from, you know, your parents. And then over time, those gifts will become talent. So there's a great model called Gagne's differentiated model of gifted education. And we're going to put that in the show notes, I think, at the end. So mm-hmm. it's something for you to have a look at because it's a great visual to see how your gift over time with a lot of nurture, with persistence, you know, motivation, that will turn into a talent. Not all gifted children's gifts will turn into a talent. So an easy example is in the sporting field. You do see a lot of gifted young athletes, but then only 10% of those gifted young athletes will go to the Olympics. So that's an easy example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's an yeah. fantastic. It's a nice way to kind of just summarise very simply those definitions. Before we get into all the nitty-gritty of the classroom and practical strategies, Vanessa, for you, what was it that sparked your interest in gifted education? Why did you get into it? When I was in my first or my second and third year of teaching, I worked with another teacher who was quite passionate about gifted education. And that's where it sparked an interest and an awareness of who gifted children were. And I also came across a parent, and she was a psychologist, but her child was gifted. And after I'd worked with that child, I just came to realise that I hadn't noticed that that child was gifted because she was very quiet, she did the right thing. And it was only after speaking to her mother about what she was like at home that I realised that you know I didn't know a lot about this and there was so much more I could do. So from that parent, from the teacher that I work with. And then I moved schools. And when I went into that school, I was able to work with other teachers and participate in programs where I was able to, we created a program for gifted children across the Sydney Southern region of the Catholic Education Diocese. And it was just fantastic to teach teachers because a lot of the university courses don't have a lot of gifted education in them. So we're able to teach the teachers, we're able to see children become challenged and excited about learning. And I think that's what really got me further into it, is to see that excitement and to see some of those children who had been labelled, you know, as a bit naughty or, oh, they're, they're okay, they're just bright, to see them shine when you finally give them a challenge. That's what really helped me to pursue this area. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, everyone will say every child learns differently, which is true. They do learn differently and we have different subgroups, I guess, of children that have needs in one particular area more than another. And I think what you said earlier is really important is that when we hear the term gifted children or gifted child, it brings with it associations that, you know, oh, that child must be just doing amazingly when that's not the case a lot of the time. They just have very specific learning needs as do other children, but they certainly do to help them thrive. Is that a simple way that you would kind of put it? Yeah, they still need the support. They need the support just as much as children who are labelled with a disability do. Yeah, absolutely. That's something that needs to change a lot in our education system is to see that support needs to be at both ends. Yes, yes, definitely. And so for you, you've taken on board kind of that end of the gifted education sector, if you like. What 
were some of the things you mentioned that little girl earlier? If we can use her as a as a bit of an example, what were some of the characteristics that you kind of thought, oh, okay, I didn't realize that that was a trait or that meant that she could fit into this category. Can we use your kind of personal experience there to to help the listeners understand how it was for you? Yeah, so I guess I could probably give two examples. There was one, a boy who had been diagnosed on the autism spectrum. So he was high functioning, but he's had very poor fine motor skills, didn't have very good emotional regulations, so he mucked up a lot. Couldn't write very well, but he was highly verbal. And it wasn't until some testing was done and also the gifted educators were able to get into the classroom and observe him and talk to him that we saw how he was in year two at the time. We saw that he had a year five level of maths. Mm. So because of his misbehaviour and his disability, that was masked. But once we were able to sit with his teacher to give her strategies to support, you know, his two needs and then also give him the challenge, the behaviour wasn't as bad and because he had motivation, but he also had a bit more confidence, one in the school system that they understood him, but also in himself that he could do something. So that was a great tool for us to use as well to show educators that, you know, children can be labelled. And another example is a girl that I worked with who was a perfectionist So one of the reasons that she wasn't picked up early was because she was well-behaved, she did everything right, but then we started to notice that she wasn't always completing her work, even though, you know, she tested well. And with perfectionism, that comes a lot with gifted children because, one, they're used to getting everything correct. So if work starts to get a little bit harder, they really struggle with making a mistake. And they also just want to show that they can get everything right, a lot of gifted children. So, and that perfectionism just slows them down because they might not get beyond writing the title. So with this girl, we worked on goal setting. So what can I do when I come across a difficult topic or how can I have a page where I write down my ideas so then I can transfer it across onto my neat copy. So just having different strategies in place is something that we needed to do with her and with a lot of gifted children you've just got to think outside the box so you're fostering their social and emotional needs as well as their academic needs and not getting too caught up as with the boy I was speaking about if we get too caught up on their weakness then their strengths won't shine through so really got to focus on their strengths and working on that and then you know of course the weakness you've got to strengthen that but you've really got to work on what they're good at first Absolutely. And you've really given us a good idea of how different traits and characteristics can look in different kids that fall under kind of that gifted category. So within the classroom, Vanessa, and you do so much work, obviously, in the classroom, I personally think teachers have a really tough gig because, you know, every child has such different learning needs and they're trying to cater for, you know, often increasing class sizes. Is it common for when students start school and when they enter the classroom, is it common that the classroom teacher is is the key person that's kind of going, oh, I think that student might be gifted or are they coming in with the parent already kind of going, oh, I think, and be pretty mixed, but what have you found in your experience? Who does it kind of, where does it lie more with or who does it lie more with to kind of be aware of it? I think it should lie with the parents. The thing, I guess, a lot of parents probably don't know a lot about the school system because they haven't been in a school since they left themselves. So, But if you are listening and you've got a student going into school or even in those early years, you should definitely 
have a meeting with your classroom teacher and just let them know about your child's gifts. Have they already started reading? That sure sign of giftedness, but also just are they really inquisitive about the world or are they great artists? Parents know a lot more than teachers do, especially in those first few years. You've watched them grow. You've had them at home with you. So I personally think, and a lot of schools are quite welcoming, if you can just go and talk to the classroom teacher and just tell them everything you know, and then from there, the classroom teachers should be able to work on that. We really want to make sure that children don't become dismissive about school or start to hate school because they're not being challenged, they're not being listened to. And that does happen a lot, unfortunately. Yes. So the more the parents can get involved, like not too much. You don't want to be a <laughs> parent that's always cooking. Yeah, you just got to have that balance and make sure the school knows and make sure your child's being challenged. But I think, yeah, if they're in kindy or you want, tell them as much as you can because that will help the teacher. Yeah, absolutely. And as a teacher, what are some of the things that you've kind of work on with other teachers? What are you helping them do in the classroom? So what I'm trying to do at the moment is sit down with teachers and their programs So and just work out, okay, how can we teach this so we can cater for everyone in the classroom? And that's difficult. So what we try and do is break it up into three groups. You've got your core group, which most students fall into, but then you've got children who need support at the lower end and you need support at the higher end. So I'm working on the higher end. So it just might be we ask questions in a different way. might be more of the how or the analyse or the, you know, so it's not a big change a lot of the time. It's just... The question, it's a different type of question. It could be, and so, yeah, so that's what I work on with those teachers, just so that, because I know teachers are busy and they've got to cater for those 30 children. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What I like to do is sit down and just say, okay, how can we tweak that so we can support those children? Some schools have little small pull-out programs and the schools I work in, I do occasionally go in and work with a small group of five students, but that's not going to happen everywhere. So ideally it's, yeah, having the time to sit with the teachers to, to work on those programs. And another part of that is pre-testing. So every time the teachers take on a new topic, you know, I encourage them to pre-test so you know what your students can do. So it could be if you're doing, you know, addition and subtraction, just a short pre-test and then the teachers go, right, these should know nothing, these should know everything, what am I going to do with them? rather than oh, everyone's going to do the same all the time. So it's just adding that challenge so you can support everyone, which is hard, but I think it's practice and it takes time. But, yeah, I think we can all definitely do it. It probably sounds like one of the top tips for teachers really is getting what you're saying is getting a baseline measure before you delve into a particular topic. Get a baseline, get a vibe for, you know, where everyone is at and then move forward from there. You know, you hope that that's what happens, but that must be a challenge. What are the top three challenges that are happening in classrooms? I don't think all teachers are as supportive as as what they need to be. That's my personal opinion. But what are the top three challenges that teachers are are feeling when they've got to juggle kind of that large class size and the different learning styles? What would you say they are? Definitely time. Even that time to program in the best possible way. That does take time. You're also dealing with different personalities and different learning styles. So that's something that as teachers we need to cater for. And I I think we've just got to, as teachers, have have that support. So I think even if more money and funding went into 
a support person because in most schools there is a designated person that's there generally full-time for our children who have disabilities and learning support but there's not many schools that have a gifted support teacher and that's a society that's that's how our society is developed we haven't always towards the more able children as oh they'll be fine yes you know they're smart they're fine but a lot of them slip through the cracks they become disengaged or they just don't reach their full potential because it's just too easy so I think it'd be great if there was a lot more money put towards you know experts that can go in even if it's two days a week and they can support schools that would be a great start yeah yeah now in the situation where obviously that's the ideal world and I'm not saying that's not possible, but in, in the situation where it's not happening, the school doesn't or can't fund that kind of expert advice or programming, et cetera, is there something that parents can do? They kind of notice, okay, my child's not engaged. I know that there's more potential in there. I've spoken to the teacher, but they're finding it a challenge. Is there anything that you would suggest that parents can do to help their child, I guess, reach their potential or flourish in a way that's not too overwhelming you know parents have a lot on their plate generally yes but I think it can be a big stress for a parent when they're watching their child I guess performing at a level that deep down the parent kind of knows I know that they can do so much more and what can I do about it What's your advice? Yeah, it's a hard one. It's quite difficult because school takes up a lot of time. I know. Yes. And there are great external programs. And if you can afford to send your child to one of those, I would highly recommend that. Or could they, if they've got a passion, something like geology or, you know, stamp collecting, you know, something, if they've got a passion in some area or, you know, dinosaurs on the weekend, can you take them to a museum? Is there a local club they could be a part of? A lot of gifted children love adult conversations. So, even just spending time with you, go to the library, borrow books in their particular area, that can help. But I know parents are time poor and I know myself you know, trying to do those things, it can be difficult. But even if we can just find out what their particular interest is, especially with gifted children and try and even if it's just through reading at home or maybe watching a documentary together and talking about it or building things, allowing them space just to tinker away somewhere, at least they've got that freedom somewhere in their life because school can be possibly quite suffocating. So I think giving them a bit more freedom at home, you know, a lot of gifted children don't need to do homework. I know I don't think you should push them at all if it's too easy. They don't have to do it. And you could talk to the teacher about that. Most schools are pretty flexible now on homework. Mm -hmm. So get them to do something else. So rather than just say, I know you don't have to do homework, maybe they could do a project for you and the teacher. You could organise something. So Yeah, like you said, we're all time poor and school takes up, you know, nine to three plus before and after school care and all of that. So you can't always do extra things and a lot of extra things cost money. But keep an eye out because there are some great companies that they run two workshops a year that your child could go to both of them. Yes. So it's not every week and it's those twice a year they'll get to hang out with kids that are like them and that could form some more friendships and you could catch up with them on the weekend. I've heard of that happening. Yeah, it's definitely worthwhile keeping an eye out for those things as well. They are around. Fantastic. So, and I think for, I mean, I was going to mention this later, but certainly there is support for parents. There are parent support groups and things like that yes, that are easily are. found online. So 
we've got to point that out because I think it's helpful for parents to have the support that they need and also just someone that understands the situation that they're in. You know, everyone has access to different resources, different funds, etc. So I think getting some ideas or at least feeling like someone else understands your situation is almost like the first step, isn't it? And then you kind of go from there. Yeah. Tell us a little bit, Vanessa, about when you're in the classroom, Mm -hmm. what are some things that work really well when you're working in the classroom and you're working alongside a teacher? And when you're in the zone and you're like, this is going great, and you're kind of seeing everyone learning at the level that they're kind of up to or a level that they're personally thriving at, what Mm -hmm. is happening in that moment? What's happening in the zone that's making it work? I think if you've pre-tested, I think that's key because then you know where everyone sits and then from there you've programmed well. And so everyone's working at their particular level. You've also got some challenge in there. So rather than just, you know, a lot of people recommend, you know, open-ended questions and that's great because it, you know, gives children more choice and they're more motivated, but you also need parameters within that. So, for example, this is quite a simple example, but recently in stage three, they just did a warm-up activity. The number was 17. They had to write. So the core group had to write as much as they could about the number 17. But then with the top group, they liked doing that. They did enjoy doing that, but I gave parameters. I said, right, you've got to write an equation that has three steps to get to 17, or you've got to use multiplication and division to get to 17. So although they were doing a similar task and it was still open, it had those parameters and gift to children need that as well as, you know, our core students. But yeah, a classroom where there's choice, but when there's guidelines, I think that's quite successful because then there's focus. Yeah. Also being able to, if you can group your students, so they're working with like-minded peers, that's ideal. If they can move between grades, that doesn't always work because of timetabling and depends on the size of the school. That can be highly successful because, again, the children are working with like-minded peers. So you could have a year four student working with year six, and that's fantastic because there's motivation and finally, you know, they're talking to kids that understand them. Yeah. Yes, I think that those sorts of things, the flexibility of the teach, and there's those that high challenge questions and real-life problems, that leads to a lot of motivation. And it can lend to a whole classroom where you've got your core, but then you just your gifted kids are just on that other level. Yeah, absolutely. So pre-testing, you've mentioned a couple of times and setting some parameters, obviously, Mm -hmm. changing level of complexity, offering choice. And I guess what you're saying is also stepping it up in terms of making sure they're grouped potentially with like-minded peers. So that motivation and that level of, I guess it's almost like the level that they need of stimulation, the intellectual or cognitive stimulation, they're reaching that threshold and that's where you kind of reach that kind of zone of learning. Does that summarise it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's really important, especially that working with like-minded peers because sometimes, still hear it now, but I know a lot in the past people would pair the gifted child with the child who needs support Mm. and say, oh, that helps them, you know, to build their teaching skills, but not all gifted children want to be teachers. And that doesn't stimulate them. It's definitely a good skill to learn, but it's not something to do all the time. And you might do it occasionally for a particular reason, but overall working with like-minded peers is definitely high motivation, great for self-esteem, confidence, all of those things. Fantastic. And that's a really interesting one you point out because it does happen a lot. 
okay, well, you're good at this. So, you know, it'd be great if you can go and help so-and-so over there. And they often get given that teacher role. Yes. You're right. That's probably the more frequent thing that occurs. So what you're saying is, you know, a good for teachers is looking at pairing them with, you know, someone of that similar ability so they can get that level of stimulation and motivation happening. Yes. Very, very important point. Yeah. So what about some things that just don't work? There are a couple of things you've seen in the classroom that, you know, through, again, through trial and error, it's different for every classroom and every different class groups. But have you seen a couple of things that you've just gone, you know what, I think that's just a big no-no. We won't even trial that one. Can you share anything you've seen and even kind of paint the picture of of what you've experienced so that teachers can understand that a little bit better? Yeah, uh, look, I'd say the key one is don't pitch too high. I think a lot of times you think, oh, they're gifted, they'll be fine. So we'll give them something that's too hard. And although if you've got a very highly motivated, gifted child, they probably will rise to it. But another mistake we often make is, oh, they're gifted, they'll be fine, they can do it by themselves. And they're still children. And even when they're in high school, you know, they still need someone to sit down and teach them. And I think that's a big thing that we've all got to remember, just because they're gifted and they're quick learners, we've still got to sit down and explain it to them, give them the time. And I think that's a mistake that happens and even sometimes I know I've been at fault I've given them something too hard and say off you go and then then I realize oh no I've actually got to teach them or I've got to at least step it out for them so they're clear so I think yes. that's probably the main issue another one that doesn't come up so much now but if we are going to accelerate a student even if it's just for maths from year four to year six and especially if it's whole grade you know they totally skip year five from year four and go to year six, we've got to make sure that there's a lot of planning involved there. The parents are aware of the acceleration, the child's comfortable with the acceleration, the incoming teacher's comfortable, yeah. the teacher that has them for the rest of the time's comfortable. So that's something that schools can make a mistake in. And even parents might say, I want my child to be accelerated, but it's something that can take a few months to sort out. So that's something you've got to be aware of as well. Don't just go, right, they need to move up. Even if it's just for maths, you've still got to step it through slowly just so Mm. the child knows what's going on and they're comfortable. So is the teacher that's getting them. And, you know, there's so many things to think about, but we've got to think about them just as much as we think about other students. Yeah, valid point. And and it is sounds like just a process that needs a little bit of consideration, obviously. Yeah. Not just, yeah, we'll just do this and we'll just do that. And I think, gosh, you hope that happens for all our students, don't you, that they get some level of... Yeah, yeah, consideration. Absolutely. (laughs) So that's good. So the things to not assume or or kind of fall into the trap of is is just giving them things that are pitching too high or letting the gifted work overly independently. And I think that one would probably be an easy one to fall into because it's just like, yeah, you know what you're doing, off you go. That's right. Yeah, I can imagine that happening quite a bit. So I would love to hear a couple of success stories because you have had the privilege of working with a lot of children. Can you tell us about a child who perhaps started maybe not identified as gifted and what you were seeing and kind of their journey and how they progressed and how they kind of ended up in a bit of a thriving or a happier place at school? Can you think of an example or success story you can share with us? Look, probably just a couple of boys that I've come across who've 
just been misbehaving, just not as engaged in class. And it's just sometimes, you know, as a new teacher coming into the classroom, you can see them in a different light. And a lot of the time, those boys, the two that I can think of, once we gave them the challenge, the harder topics, a bit more independent learning, the behaviour, the misbehaviour steps down. We're still there a little bit, you know, would pop up from time to time. But once that challenge and engagement was there, because we knew what they could do, yeah, they enjoyed school a lot more. And the teacher enjoyed teaching them a lot more because she knew what they were capable of. And I think that's a big problem. And we call it underachievement. And it's great when you can finally see those underachievers. So they're the gifted children who just aren't achieving what they should be. Mm-hmm. once you pick up and it could be yeah because they've been bored so they start to misbehave yes it could be you know they can't write very well so they misbehave even though they can verbally tell you everything so it's just a matter of sometimes as teachers just changing our expectations re-look at them you're having those pre-tests and just engaging with them getting to know them and I know primary school we generally know our students pretty well because we're with them all day but high school that can be harder so it's just making that extra effort to really get to know them. There's, there are some little interest surveys out there where, that you can do with your children in your class to get to know them. I think once you know them, in a lot of the cases where I've seen success, once we've known that child a bit better, then we're able to help them out of that underachievement and into more positive learning. Yeah, fantastic. So you kind of touched on my next question, which was about how can teachers better connect and you know, in the challenge of having a lot of children in the classroom. You mentioned some kind of survey just then, which I don't know a lot about. I'm not a teacher, but can you tell me more about what that is and any other tools or any other just basics that work really well so teachers can connect better and build a positive relationship with all their children in the classroom? And of course, that's going to include gifted and core students as well. What tools are out there? Well, I think just being able to have an informal talk And a lot of schools do set that up at the beginning of the year. If you can have 10, 15 minutes with your teacher, with your child teacher, just to talk to them about their child. And then in that time, the teacher gets to know what the child's like at home, what the parents think about them and their abilities. Being able to talk to previous year's teacher, um, that's very helpful. You know, especially just looking at the academic course, looking at the social, but understanding that every teacher is going to look at a child differently. But having that knowledge is important, so that passing on of knowledge. Um, yeah, there's a few different surveys I can try. We can try and put them in the show notes. But there's one called it's Michael Saylor's Checklist for Parents, and there's a checklist for teachers. So mm-hmm. even if you think a child might be gifted, you can fill in the form. It just gives you a better idea. There's another lady called Lenny Konevsky, and she has an interest survey. And, again, it takes a bit of time. And there are shorter versions out there that you can find and whatever suits your classroom. But if you can just get the children and then fill it in and then they, they know that you know more about them as well. And I think that helps. Yeah. And they've got a little bit of a voice and that can help you to know them a lot more. And I think just being active in the classroom, just seeing what they're interested in, trying to embed that into the program. You know, the the curriculum's there, but I think we can bend it and I think we need to probably bend it and twist it a lot more than what the teachers do and try and, you know, yeah, see what works for the children because some of the topics can be a bit dry, but if you integrate it into their interest areas, you'll still get all the outcomes. Yes. I think we probably need to be a bit more flexible. Yeah, absolutely. And 
And it is so important, I think, having that positive relationship with the teacher and with the student, and obviously it goes with parents too, the more positive our relationship is, the better we're able to connect and then hopefully be able to identify what some of their needs are and regardless of what, I guess, their label is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So tell us, Vanessa, what would be your key message to a parent who is at home doing their best to support their gifted child, what would be the take-home message that you would give to that parent? I think continue to support your child and believe that you know what's best for your child, you know, what you've seen. If you think your child is gifted, there is, as you mentioned earlier, there are a lot of gifted support groups for parents. So just have a search up and see what's in your area. If you just search up the Australian gifted support group then now there's different ones for each state so hooking into that organization can help you because sometimes you know we might think our child's gifted perhaps they're not perhaps they're more gifted than what we think so it's definitely worthwhile talking to that group of parents because they've gone through it all before and I think just keeping those lines of communication open don't judge the school don't hassle the teachers you know be positive you know, be positive with your child about the school, even if they're moving slowly. I think keep talking to the school about your child, but don't bring that home to your child as well. So we want your child to see school as a positive experience and that they're being supported. And I think it can be difficult at times because it's like anything, you know, you might work with someone who has a great understanding of giftedness. Some teachers might not have as strong an understanding. So just being positive, keep the lines of communication open and get the support from those support networks. They are really helpful. Fantastic. And what about words of encouragement that you use with the students that are deemed gifted? Because you must have a different, I guess, level of conversation or they might have a different level of awareness of what's going on for them. What Do you find yourself saying similar things to this subgroup or cohort of students? What are those types of things? I think I'd probably say to them things along, you know, it's okay to make mistakes. Mistakes are great. We talk about, you know, I can't think of a name off the top of my head, but, you know, really successful people that, you know, you look at, they've made mistakes along the way. So we talk about that a lot. We talk about, similar to what you do with other children, but having a go and trial and error. And so it's just along those lines so that they don't fall into the trap of them they need to get everything right all the time or they need to be the best all the time. It's that it's all about having a go, working at their level. And, and I often do say, you know, you need to challenge yourself more. What could you do to make this more challenging? Just so they're always in that, you know, you hear that growth mindset, but they're always in that frame of thinking where I can do this, I can give it a go. What's a different way of looking at it? It's not always going to come easy because, again, gifted children can fall into that trap where everything has been easy and suddenly something hard comes along and we don't want them to fall apart. We want them to be ready to take on that challenge. So just keeping that open mind, I think, is really important. And that's really, you're talking a lot about mindset stuff there, aren't you? Yeah. And that self-talk. But that's huge. They're kind of the biggest barriers that we come across, you know, even at the clinic, working with children with range of abilities. Mm-hmm. But that mindset and what they're saying to themselves is absolutely one of the key things or one of the top layers that we need to be chipping away at so they can get to the learning part. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I'm with you 100%. So it's kind of that talk about it's okay to make mistakes and getting them to practice 
what they tell themselves. And sometimes that's modelled by us as parents and carers. Sometimes it's modelled through teachers. But I think in some ways what you're saying, Vanessa, and it's quite empowering is if we have children or support children to get that positive self-talk and that, as you call it, the growth mindset kind of stuff happening, then Mm. it means that they're able to implement that themselves and they're not waiting for mum or dad or nan or anyone else to keep giving them the language. They're not waiting for their teacher to give them that language. We're trying to have them have those kind of inbuilt self-help kind of strategies and mechanisms in place. That's really important, yeah. So that's a wonderful way to kind of conclude our chat here, Vanessa, in terms of, you know, supporting our gifted children as best we can. And look, to be quite honest, a lot of the things we've talked about very much are are ways that we can generally support children with different learning needs. So I think it's wonderful that you've been able to share, as I said, that end of the spectrum where that it's a small percentage, but it's still a frequent one. It's a common one and it's often getting missed, you know, within classrooms. So I think it's fantastic the work that you're doing within our schools and with our teachers. So where can we find out? We've mentioned kind of parent support groups, but where can we find out a little bit more? We've got a few links that you've shared with us in show notes. Can you just tell us a little bit about what those links are just briefly so that listeners can go check them out? So I've linked the Gagne model of differentiation and the link that I've put there outlines what the model is. It shows you a picture of it and how children's gifts flow into talents. Mm-hmm. Just so, and you can see there's a big part there about motivation, internal and, you know, extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. So we're just talking about that. So it's great to see that model. And I also put a link to some courses. They're for teachers, but parents can definitely have a look through them. There's six modules created through the UNSW and they're all free. And I really like, I often refer to those links because it goes through identification of gifted children, looks at social and emotional health, and there's quite a few modules there on differentiating in the classroom, so lots of different tools to use. So they're the main links. I might even add some the gifted support group there. We might put that in as well yeah. so parents know how to access. Fantastic, fantastic. And I think, you know, as I said, part of Chat About Children is raising the awareness and and getting the information out about, you know, accessing information that we need. And we all need different information because we have very different children and different family dynamics. So <laughs> yeah, we want to know which avenue is appropriate for us at the time we need it. So Vanessa, I want to thank you so much for joining the Chat About Children today about the gifted child. It's all right. Thank you for having me. Thank you again there to Vanessa and also to all our teachers out there who are doing such amazing work with our children in schools and are driven by loving what they do and making a positive difference. So thank you. Now, Vanessa has generously shared some valuable links, which you will find on our show notes at chataboutchildren.com. Please head over to the website and view those show notes and remember to subscribe to the Chat About Children newsletter. You'll find it will pop up as a keep up with a chatter pop-up box. So please pop your details in there and that way you can keep up with the chatter. If you have enjoyed today's episode, please do share with family, friends and with colleagues and remember to leave a rating and a review. Subscribing to the Chat About Children podcast also means that you will receive automatic notifications when a new episode is released. Thank you so much for your attention. I celebrate you and look forward to chatting soon. 
Thanks for joining the Chat About Children with Sonia Bestelich. www.chataboutchildren.com. 